0: This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical or mental health advice, and it does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. Hello, welcome back to the Vinge Eating Dietitian podcast. My name is Jo, I am a registered dietitian, and I am here to help you to smash the taboo of binge eating. And I've been here for 100 episodes now. Thank you so much for sticking it out with me. Thank you so much for being with me on this journey. I am so glad that you are still listening. As I've said before, I wouldn't do this if you weren't listening. So thank you for staying here. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for your reviews and thank you for your support. I am just thrilled that I've gotten to 100 episodes. It feels like it's a milestone. And of course, I'm not stopping here. I'm going to continue with weekly episodes as much as I can. Please forgive me if I forget the odd week. Or I shouldn't have said forget. It's not that I've forgotten. It's that other things have taken priority that week. You know that I work with clients one-to-one and I have my binge eating recovery program so I will always prioritize my paid clients first and the podcast unfortunately has to come after but that doesn't mean that I don't love doing it because I really do especially when I get your positive feedback. Thank you again. Thank you for being here. If you have any suggestions for future episodes please don't hesitate. Drop me a line joe at antidietanswers.com. In today's episode, it is a special one. I am bringing you a very special guest. It is Harriet Frew, the eating disorder therapist. If you use the Instagram world at all, or maybe if you've come across her podcast, Harriet Frew is amazing. She is someone who I really look look up to professionally, somebody who I really respect professionally. And I wanted her to have her voice on this podcast. I wanted her to be able to share how she helps her clients with their eating disorders. I came across Harriet a couple of years ago now when I first started The Binge Eating Dietitian on Instagram and on the podcast. I reached out to Harriet because she, firstly actually, she worked in my area. So I was still living in the UK at the time and Harriet was working pretty close by to me in Cambridgeshire. And although I really wanted us to meet up, it was right in the middle of the pandemic so it just wasn't possible. But I know that we're going to meet up again. And I reached out to her to firstly congratulate her on how well that she was doing. She she puts out such amazing content on Instagram and on her blog and in her email list. And I just really looked up to her and I credit part of me becoming the binge eating dietitian and starting the podcast to her because I just saw how well she was doing and she's somebody who I really looked up to. So to help celebrate the 100th episode, I'm going to bring you my interview with the amazing eating disorder therapist, Harriet DeFruy through the eating disorder therapist. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you,
1: Joe. And thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be here.
0: Of course. Well, I know I've been on your podcast a couple of times and if you haven't listened to Harriet's podcast so far, it is amazing. It is the eating disorder therapist podcast, full, jam-packed full of so much helpful advice. So, It is a real honor to have you on, Harriet, to have you you here talking to us today. So tell us, how did you come to be the eating disorder therapist?
1: Okay, so I came to work as a therapist, very much as the wounded healer. I had my own journey in suffering from an eating disorder, bulimia nervosa, so between the ages of 17 and into my mid-20s, and back in the day... It was there it was even less help available you know than there is now so I guess I very came I very much came to it through that slightly kind of idealistic kind of lens of wanting to save the world and help people in the way that I hadn't been able to get help myself so that was very much my journey into it and I decided about the age of 23 that I wanted to work as a therapist And started my training, counselling training, sort of in my mid twenties, and the rest is history. Really, Um, I've worked in eating disorders from my late twenties for many years now.
0: Amazing, and I bet you think, or you know, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but your your own personal experience of having an eating disorder must help you being a therapist. It must give you that extra level of insight into eating disorder behaviour when you have that lived experience. Is that the case?
1: Yeah, I think so. I guess the important thing as you sort of learn, as you train to be a therapist, is that your experience is unique and it's really important to have empathy and not to sort of project your own stuff onto other people because um, everyone has their own journey to walk, I guess, and everyone's um, experience is individual. But I think it does really help me build relationships with people, have that real empathy and connection. And I believe that clients sort of trust me as well because of they know I've really walked the walk and come out the other side. So there are definitely some benefits.
0: Yeah, there, because I have my own experience with struggling with binge eating. And, you know, when I'm talking with clients and developing that, relationship with them they'll often say joe i just feel that you get it and maybe that's something that your clients say to you too like you get it and there's not really much much more else to say it's just that you understand on a different level to people who to therapists who haven't maybe had that lived experience
1: yeah i think it's really true isn't it and i think it really enables people to talk about the murky parts of living with an eating disorder without or reducing the shame because there's often so much shame isn't there talking about eating disorder behaviors and being able to just bring that openly into the therapy room and knowing that you're not going to be judged and that someone else has been through it and understands it I think that's quite powerful
0: do you think that that shame is is it getting better like say like my mantra for this podcast is to smash the taboo of binge eating do you think generally eating disorder Eating disorders are becoming more talked about. More awareness been raised, or is in your experience, do your clients still feel the same level of shame?
1: I think things have really improved. You know, you sort of think about how things were. Like, I don't know, like the nineteen eighties, the nineteen nineties. You know, people didn't really talk about eating disorders. People didn't even recognise sometimes that they had an eating disorder because they didn't identify with being a white adolescent teenage girl with anorexia nervosa. So things have come on massively. And I think people now do really, you know, they can acknowledge they have an eating disorder, maybe it's binge eating, um, binge eating disorder, bulimia, OSFED. Um, recognizing that you don't have to be underweight to have an eating disorder. So I think the conversation has opened up so significantly, but there's still more to go. I think people coming into therapy, there's still a lot of shame that's held around eating disorders.
0: Yeah, for sure. You mentioned OSFEDs there. Could you explain what's meant by that?
1: So it's other specified feeding and eating disorder. So it's just basically if you don't fit neatly into anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa or binge eating disorder you generally will come under OSFED, which means that you still have an eating disorder, which is very valid, but you don't fit neatly into a diagnostic box.
0: Yeah, which is one of the perils of eating disorder treatment, right? Those diagnostic boxes.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very limiting. And I think most people will fall into OSFED. Really?
0: That's so interesting. So people don't usually neatly fit into one of those criteria then
1: yeah very true (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: that's really useful to know because I I, yeah when my clients come to me they'll say I don't know if I'm struggling with binge eating disorder but I definitely exhibit some of the behaviors but maybe not all so Mm OSFED is is like a I don't want to say it's like a place for people to go when they don't fit into those boxes perhaps
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the important message with OSFED is, is absolutely really valid. And BEAT, the National Association for Eating Disorders in the UK, talk about OSFED very openly as a valid eating disorder. And within OSFED are things like atypical anorexia nervosa, which is very common, you know, when people have all the signs and symptoms of anorexia nervosa, but their BMI is within the normal range, but they're still essentially starving themselves. So that's a good example, like many people fall into that category.
0: So in your day-to-day work, and you do a mix of public work and, and private work, right, yeah. would you see mainly people from all body shapes and sizes, or is it generally one, is it generally the stereotypical view of an underweight adolescent girl?
1: So I guess in my NHS work, particularly historically, the focus has been more on seeing the people that are most unwell. So often then that has been people with anorexia nervosa, because obviously it is the most severe mental health condition within in terms of kind of being like life-threatening and sort of deaths from the illness. So yes, definitely in the NHS, although that is changing more through initiatives like FREED, which is Early Intervention for Eating Disorders. So we are seeing a much greater spectrum. But in my private work, tend to work more with people with OSFED, bulimia or binge eating disorder so it's quite a contrast
0: right which is interesting isn't it that the nhs wants to support a certain type of of eating disorder and maybe not all and i think that's certainly the case with binge eating disorder is that is that your experience too
1: yeah, I mean I think just the really sad thing is, is I think NHS services generally are doing their best, but they have this like limited amount of resource. So they kind of have to prioritize people based on their severity. And I guess anorexia nervosa, just because of the life-threatening nature of it, tends to be prioritized. But of course, many people with bulimia, OSFED, binge eating disorder are struggling every day sort eating is massively impacting their lives absolutely worthy and should be getting treatment but it's because of there's just been that like limited resource um and I'm thinking when I first started working the NHS service in Cambridgeshire in 2004 I think we had about four therapists on the team for the whole county so I suppose that's to put it in context (laughs) it's um yeah it's not that um NHS services, you know, don't want to support people. It's often due to very limited resources.
0: Do you have any idea of what the team is like now? Like how many therapists are there for eating disorders now?
1: Um, So I only work 10 hours a week now. So I'm a bit (laughs) on the edge. I mean, it's definitely (laughs) doubled at least. (laughs) It's doubled at least, but it's still... I'd say it's still under 10 therapists but we've got more of a multidisciplinary team now so mm-hmm. more sort of dietetic support more kind of nursing and other sort of you know people from other sort of professions I guess within the team whereas in back in the day it was literally like a doctor and four therapists so okay. it has expanded and it's expanding more
0: yeah i it's my hope that one day especially in the NHS or if you're listening in Ireland the HSE that you will be able to seek help from psychotherapy for binge eating without having to go to the bottom of the pile in terms of priority. Yeah. As a, as a therapist, if someone comes to you with binge eating, maybe binging disorder or, or binging eating behavior is not diagnosed, but still struggling with binge eating, how can you help as a psychotherapist? What is your role there?
1: So I guess it's very much viewing the problem as a psychological problem. So you're seeing the binge eating as a coping strategy for dealing with problems in life. Obviously not something that someone has consciously chosen to do, but often food becomes a way of coping. Binging becomes a way of coping. So I guess one of the first things that you do in therapy is help someone try to understand maybe why they've developed binge eating disorder. And I guess that could be kind of multiple reasons may have impacted that. So it could be sort of things like happened in their family. It could be things kind of early in life around food and body image. could be about things that happened at school, maybe bullying, maybe traumas that happened in childhood, which impacted how that person then deals with their emotions and their ability to self-care. So you would sort of look at all that kind of past history and you would try to understand as well, why is this person perhaps feeling not good enough about themselves? So I guess underneath the binge eating disorder is low self-esteem, is not feeling good enough, not feeling worthy, feeling like a failure in some way, not maybe not feeling lovable, not feeling acceptable. So you would sort of start to explore that a bit and perhaps, you know, try and make sense of it. You would then look as well at sort of triggers for the binge eating disorder. So often, I often think like the seeds may be sown in childhood for uh, eating disorder to develop, but then it may not necessarily develop into an eating disorder. Like there's often a trigger event, which could be like an extreme diet, but often as well around a period of stress in someone's life. Um, and then you would look as well at what kind of is keeping the binge eating going. So you would look at more of the sort of perpetuating cycles sort of in the present. So often, you know, perhaps when people are really, really restricting their eating, really focusing on weight and shape in terms of a way of evaluating their worth, helping them sort of see like those kind of cycles they're stuck in. So I guess you're kind of doing a combination as a therapist of working on the deeper underlying issues, but also then helping people to break the cycles and the more kind of symptom focused work in the present. And you're kind of marrying those two together. I think either without the other is not very helpful because if you work just on the symptoms someone could recover from binge eating disorder but then they could then turn to alcohol could turn to something else to cope and I guess if you just look at the past and you don't work on the symptoms you know you could talk about your relationship with your mother for example to the cows come home but if you're not like breaking out of patterns of dieting and things like that really really hard to stop binge eating so um so I guess, you know, that's a bit of an overview, really. Um, but you work a lot as well on people on motivation. People are very ambivalent about change because of binge eating as a coping strategy. So you do quite a lot of motivational work first. Um, but I think as well, main themes that come up in therapy for people with binge eating, lots of things around the way people care for themselves, self-care, self-compassion, the way people manage their emotions, the way they kind of think about things, self-esteem issues how they show up in relationships. So it's kind of working, you know, multiple things really. um, And I guess very individual to each person um, on the recovery journey.
0: Wow. So there is a lot in there, right? It's not just a linear journey from starting at the beginning and arriving at recovery. There's a lot to unpack in between.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think Instagram can make it look sometimes like, (laughs) just allow the forbidden foods and you're going to be healed kind of thing, which kind of is a part of the journey but the deeper work is really important I think for those lasting shifts. Do you
0: think sometimes clients will come to you and not even be aware that there's deeper work
1: to be done? Absolutely. Really okay. (laughs) Yeah (laughs) I think most people kind of show up and will say like oh my god I thought this was just all about the food but it's about so much more Mm -hmm. so yeah. Absolutely, really, really kind of common thing that happens in therapy.
0: Okay. So people come to you thinking this is just going to take a few sessions, but then you start to unpack it. There's a lot, a lot more underneath. Mm.
1: You
0: you mentioned that binge eating is a coping mechanism. What about dieting? Do you think dieting is also a coping mechanism?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think they're just different ends of the same spectrum really so I think whether you're dieting or whether you're binge eating you are often having something to kind of focus on to distract you to numb your emotions to I mean I I guess they have slightly different ways of showing up like I think the dieting can give you more that sort of sense of achievement that purpose um, again, it you know it helps you numb your emotions because if you're thinking about food all the time, you can't think about the other problems in your life. Dieting in a way simplifies life, makes you feel more in control. But then I think binge eating as well, binge eating helps you kind of numb your emotions and distract in a different way. you can kind of get off the treadmill of life, escape. Um, you know so there's slightly different ways of coping, but they're really intertwined together and they, they I guess they often go together, don't they?
0: Two sides of the same coin is how I I think about dieting and binging. Like they can't exist without each other, really. Um, when you're st- stuck in that real diet restrict cycle. So thank you so much yeah. for your insight on that. Um. So Harriet, clients commonly report to me that they think that they're self-sabotaging their binging and recovery. Like they'll be doing, they think they're doing really well. They haven't binged for some time. And then... Lo and behold, a binge happens down the line. What do you think about self-sabotage? How do you frame that for
1: your clients? I guess there's different things going on. Because I suppose there's always this ambivalence about change, isn't there? Like, you know, when a client comes into therapy, they might be saying, I'm so fed up with this binge eating, taking over my life, et cetera, et cetera. However, binge eating is helping in, in kind of inverse commerce isn't it? It's kind of helping you cope. Mm-hmm. Binging actually as well can be kind of quite pleasurable. It can help you numb emotions, feel a sense of control, escape. And, you know, I think when you are healing from binge eating, actually you might grieve it as well. You know, you kind of grieve the identity it gave you, you grieve the way it kind of cushioned you from some of your feelings and you're left with a bit of a void. So particularly in those early stages. So I think there's going to be some ambivalence. You might be part of you that's thinking, oh, I'm really um, pleased that I'm not binge eating, but there's another part of you that's going to miss it, like any relationship. So I think there's that side with the ambivalence. And then I think the second side of it is going back to the kind of these deeper issues and these kind of core beliefs and genuinely feeling worthy of self-care, genuinely feeling that you have permission to, truly love yourself and accept yourself and I guess for some people as well the binge eating is a sort of very sort of self-punishing thing to do which almost kind of confirms their feelings of unworthiness or not being good enough so that kind of feels that those unconscious beliefs are quite deep-rooted and they feel really true so almost by going back into the binge eating pattern it's kind of confirming how they really feel about themselves deep down so yeah, I think you know that that side of it, that kind of deeper work, is really important.
0: Okay, so self sabotage isn't always about a bad thing.
1: Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, as you and I both well know, sort of, as part of the healing journey, sure. you're going to self sabotage probably many yeah. times, aren't you? Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure you probably use the, the cycle of change and realise that we go through many motivational stages. In recovery so I guess it's looking at the self-sabotage not as good or bad but just like with curiosity and compassion isn't it and just thinking okay that's really interesting um I wonder what's going on there Mm -hmm. and just taking that step back and observing what's happening and exploring it
0: when I hear a client saying that they're they're self-sabotaging I always think about and ask them to reframe it as being a form of self-protection So what, what are you protecting yourself from here? Why did, what, what, how did this binge protect yourself in that moment? Maybe someone is having a really restricted diet. They're doing an 800 calorie liquid diet and they have a big binge after a couple of days and they call it self-sabotage. I see that as self-protection because it's your body trying to protect you from dieting and restricting too you know, too tightly.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, that no, makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, I think if you're starving yourself with a diet such low calories, of course your body's going to be like desperate for food, to be mm-hmm. hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so definitely protecting.
0: Definitely. So self sabotage also self protection. Harriet, do you have any? I get. I know you can't summarize your work in just like one sentence or a couple of you know words of wisdom but is there any like key message that you'd like you like your clients to know no matter what stage of binge eating recovery that they're at or where they're at in their journey with food
1: I guess it's always been still hope that recovery is possible because I think I think sometimes one of the things that's helped me to help people is they can see that I have recovered and that gives them a lot of hope and then I think when you have hope, you look for the exits, don't you? You feel like um, your head's above water almost, and you can kind of keep exploring the different ways out of it. Whereas when you feel hopeless, sometimes you can just feel really overwhelmed and stuck and you can kind of almost give up. So I think, you know, I just want to say recovery as possible. And I, you know, I'm, you know, you and I, I guess have been in very low places with eating disorders and, yeah but in the very sort you know I, I know myself just kind of like feeling that you know just really overwhelmed and just really just feeling so out of control and so um you know with self-esteem on the floor and I guess I don't feel like that today <laughs> certainly not and um but I always held on to a belief that recovery was possible so I think I would just say that to people really to just keep not to give up and to keep looking for the exits. And you know, if you hit a dead end in the road, maybe that's not the right person that you've reached out to for help. Maybe it's not the right book or the right resource, but you know, don't give up, just try something else because of there's so many people that have walked this path. And you know, we I think we have to find our own people that are the kind of beacon of light, don't we? You know, some voices resonate more for us with us than others. And it's I think the other thing that goes with all of this is like trusting your own inner wisdom and following the things that feel right to you. And if something doesn't feel right or doesn't seem to sort of be kind of hitting the spot, maybe that's not the right thing. You need to try something else. But I guess there are multiple ways, aren't there, to recover from an eating disorder. It's not a like one size fits all.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think what you're getting at is like the importance as well of having that strong therapeutic relationship with whoever you're working with whether it is a eating disorder, dietitian or a therapist or a doctor, whoever, you need to have that connection with them. You need to feel like they get it to go back to that
1: term. Mm, Yeah, no, absolutely. But I'm thinking as well for people like I think I would absolutely recommend working with a professional to recover because I think I know myself, I didn't have therapy until after I'd recovered. And I believe I would sort of suffered with my eating disorder for much longer than I needed to because I didn't, I wasn't able to kind of get the help. But I think as well, I've interviewed people on my podcast that have kind of been on that recovery journey themselves, but they have been real seekers and constantly kind of been sort of seeking out different ways um, that are going to support them with their healing. So um, I think that therapeutic relationship is really important, but it's not always essential, but definitely it can fast track your recovery.
0: Okay, I like what you said about keep seeking, like, be, be a seeker keep always looking for for a new resource to help you harry thank you so much for being on the binge eating dietitian podcast very first guest on my podcast so thank you so much where can people find you if they want to listen to more about you and your approach to eating disorder recovery
1: okay well thank you joe so much for having me on it's a real pleasure and really appreciate connecting so my podcast is The Eating Disorder Therapist and if you want to find me on Instagram I'm at The Eating Disorder Therapist with underscores between each word and my website is the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk but literally if you think you can put me into Google there aren't many Harriet Frews in the world <laughs> so you will find me.
0: Harriet thank you so much again and to everybody who's listening thank you so much for joining me for this episode i'll see you soon take care of yourself thanks Jo. if you found this podcast helpful you are going to greatly benefit from my binge eating recovery program no more second guessing every food choice no more starting a new plan every monday no more pacing up and down your kitchen trying to pull yourself out of a binge. Go to the link in the description to this episode for my binge eating recovery program where you can start your binge eating recovery today.